Welcome everybody to Telecom Radio 1. Today we have a very special guest on the show, Phil Clayman. Man, I have been tracking you down for weeks. We have missed appointments. It's, uh, I'm, just, I'm just so happy that I finally have you on the show today. CTO with MTM Technologies, big MSP, started out in Connecticut. Bill, welcome to the show. It is an absolute pleasure to be here, Phil. And I'm glad we finally liked my time and day to talk. Uh, I've been definitely looking forward to this. There's so many wonderful things to talk about in IT today. I uh, can't wait. It, I'm going to try We're gonna try to niche this down. It's hard to do. But before we do that, I'm going to stick you with a tough question. What's the biggest obstacle you've ever had to overcome in your life? It doesn't even need to be IT. It could be I lost 100 pounds. It could be anything. What's the biggest obstacle that you have ever had to overcome, period? Man, that's, that's a really great question to start off with. Uh, and, and I like that you said, you know, it doesn't have to be IT. Um, you know, first of all, I think something I learned throughout my life, and I'm sure everyone can agree with this as you listen in, uh, everyone's fighting a battle, right? Everyone's come, uh, overcome something really major. Um, and I think for, for me, uh, one of the biggest obstacles that uh, certainly I overcame, and it was probably more so my family, um, is what really helped me define myself and, and understand more of the world and appreciate everything so much more. But uh, basically, when I was younger, we uh, and my family left a collapsing uh, government in the Soviet Union, Ukraine specifically. We were uh, uh, basically stateless refugees, didn't have a passport. Um, and, uh, you know, we lived between Austria and Italy for quite some time uh, until we finally got a visa in the United States uh, in the early 90s uh, to literally come to this country and, and build a life, uh, you know, a successful life nonetheless between my brother and my mom and my dad and, and, and the rest of my family, um, you know, and get this opportunity to do some just amazing things in this wonderful nation. Um, and honestly, the biggest obstacle and the biggest factor to overcome was uh, the unknown, the uncertainty, and, you know, you constantly having to tell yourself and, and support the rest of your family that you can overcome, you can persevere, um, and that on the other side of all of this darkness is going to be something amazing and wonderful. Uh, and then, to be honest, the reason that's the biggest obstacle that I've ever overcome is that, honestly, anything after that, anything after having to sell your home for pennies, pack up just a backpack and, you know, a couple of toys and just a couple of little items with yourself and, you know, get on an airplane and a train and live abroad and finally come to a country that's, you know, accepting you. Everything else kind of seems a little bit easier. Um, so I, I think, honestly, Phil, that's the biggest obstacle that we overcame. Obviously, there's a lot more to the story, but it helped define who I am. It helped me see things in a completely different perspective and helps me keep, keeps me energized, man. Just thinking about you packing up toys, man, is going to make me cry because I got seven kids. I'm being honest with you. Oh, man. Yeah, how, how old were you when that happened? So uh, we started to pack up and leave right around 88, 89. Um, so I must have been six or seven years old or so. Uh, still remember quite well. Uh, I remember living abroad. And uh, just again, I remember having just a couple of literally almost nothing to take with ourselves. And we had to sell everything for pennies, just like I said, because everything was basically worthless when the economy collapsed. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, anybody listening, right? You're thinking about your own challenges. I mean, literally, you're put in a position where pack one backpack you've got 500 bucks and you're leaving the country good luck to you and that's that's the situation and it was it was one hell of a one hell of an obstacle to overcome man oh man do you remember what toy you packed yeah yeah actually surprisingly enough i do uh if, if you remember um you know those little green soldiers that we've got here in the states uh, yeah that's kind of what i packed i i just a couple of little little toy soldiers maybe i had a couple of little cars 
um, you know, one of those old school Soviet steel cars that, you know, you could throw off a building and they still be fine. Uh, I actually still have those, believe it or not. Yeah, we still have those from, uh, from when we came here in the States. I know they're, they're pretty well preserved. Uh, it was, they're old, old, old school Soviet cars and an old, uh, uh, like, a, like a T25 tank. I can't even remember what it was, but it wasn't much. But, uh, you know, it held up, at least it held me through for a while. When you when you see stuff like that, there's there's little to complain about. There really is, man. Uh, man little... I'm telling you, it's, it's uh, I'm sure there's other folks here who have just amazing obstacles that have, that have overcome. They've overcome as well. Just know that that kind of stuff helps define you uh, and makes you stronger. Well, we have to segue to IT <laughs> somehow, okay? Um, and you have a pretty extensive background. I'm not going to go through all of that, but I did. You know, I. I can't remember how I stumbled upon you, but it, it, there was a podcast, another podcast that I listened to with you on it, and mm-hmm. you were talking about IT leadership, and it's something mm-hmm. that's, that needs to happen because, A, technology is the driver of business now, right? Everything, so much can happen. I can run my whole business from my house. I could run my business. You know, it's funny I say this because I say, I, you know, I could run my business from a Starbucks in Russia. I say that a lot. Um, <laughs> But there's a a big weight on IT directors' shoulders, and obviously the even in the LinkedIn community, there's you know tons of recruiters recruiting for IT all the time, and they're constantly looking for the right person. So I want I want to talk about your you spoke a lot about being an architect, building mm-hmm. an IT architecture, and what's the difference between that and the typical IT director role, what's the kind of paradigm shift there? So uh, I think it's important to start here. Um, uh, you know, at MTM, like you mentioned, I'm, I'm the CTO, uh, which, which is an amazing job. I absolutely love it. I get a chance to interact with, uh, with our engineers, our architects, our customers. I get a chance to go out and do really technical whiteboarding sessions and then explain some of these most complex topics to a point where business leaders can understand. That. And I promise this is to a point. Um, I am a millennial executive. I am. Uh, and it, it, there's, it's pros and cons to that as well, right? Sometimes it's easier, sometimes it's harder. Um, but in that role, I've seen a lot of different kinds of shifts happen. So if you're listening to this podcast, and I hope you're paying attention because I know we like to multitask, I'm going to give you some really good advice, especially it doesn't matter how old you are. Uh, these perspectives are literally the DNA and the architecture of what can make you successful in this world. Um, so there was a really interesting report from Gartner uh, that said that um, by 2020, 100% of IT roles are going to require, the following this, at least an intermediate level of proficiency when it comes to business acumen. So developing strong business acumen in IT is basically the prerequisite to effectively shifting from an IT focus or just from optimizing IT operations to effectively driving the business and valuing growth and creating valuation around growth. Um, at the heart of an effective IT strategy is communication and a clear link to vision, strategy, action plans, and this desire to drive behaviors in the workforce to contribute more beyond just IT to create business outcomes. So I'm going to give you a little story, Phil, and, and everybody on the line here, I'm going to tell you guys how to think like an architect. And, and this is basically see the big picture and keep this in the back of your mind as I tell you the story. So I was working with an architect who had just gotten this position recently, um, and we were on a call. I was actually sitting in an airport ready, maybe like 
maybe 30, 40 minutes before my flight, uh, just finished up a little bit of a lunch. And he calls, he's like, Bill, I've got this job. I'm working for a very big partner in bar. And they're coming and telling me that they want me to build a security architecture for an application environment within Azure. And he was stuck. Do you know why he was stuck, Phil? Because he couldn't wrap his head around which application to work with. So he kept going back to his directors and saying, well, which application are you trying to secure? And, and to their response, they're like, well, that's not the point. We just want to create a security architecture best practice around, let's say, any kind of application. But just as an example, WordPress. WordPress sitting in Azure. So this architect is like, oh, I get it. Totally follow you. Came back and literally wrote a security architecture around, you guessed it, WordPress. So when he was given those blinders, right, that railway system that you could only go in one direction, he was doing great. Sort of that engineering mentality. Give me a problem, a very specific problem, and I'll be able to solve it. Well, on our call, he expressed a little bit of dismay because his manager said, this isn't really what we asked for. We asked for a, any kind of application that could sit in Azure. And again, he was stumped. And my conversation uh. in was this. Stop thinking of it as just one singular application. Break it out. See the big picture. What are the components of Azure? What are the components of security within Azure, right? With it? Network security, whether you're creating a silo within storage, maybe you need a specific API that will isolate data within a certain segment. Maybe you have to restrict how information is flowing. The point is, it's not just one app, it's one infrastructure. So his challenge was to take those blinders off, stop seeing uh, the request as a one-to-one, -one, but really more like a one-to-many. So in this kind of world that we're talking about, an IT director oftentimes might focus on a given problem at hand or maybe multiple problems at any one given time. But what an architect does, remember what I said a little earlier, see the big picture. Oftentimes, engineers and people who are often working on problems immediately fixate on an issue or a point or uh, you know, something they need to fix. And then they get so bogged down in that, they forget to see other elements. How does it impact, for example, users, or maybe a different location, or maybe it impacts a different part of the environment. Um, and to that extent, uh, you need to be able to stop, pause yourself, understand everything that's going on. And when you do that, when you slow your brain down, and when you really take into consideration everything, you begin to think like an architect. You begin to think of variables. You begin to understand uh, dependencies, uh, what might happen to a different part of your environment. And here's the thing, as an architect, it's okay to ask those questions. Hey, can we bring in the storage team? Because uh, if I design this kind of architecture, I'm not sure how it's gonna impact, for example, performance or IO. Hey, we're gonna need to get the voice team in here because I'm not sure what the quality of the call is gonna be going to these remote locations. We might need some kind of WAN optimization technology. You don't have to be the expert, but you need to know the pieces and components that touch what you're actually designing. So again, the biggest element here, the paradigm shift, is to go from seeing a singular vision to the big picture. And I know it's kind of hard to understand and grasp, and, I, and maybe some of the folks listening to this, they're not going to get it immediately. But when you, you know, listen to the podcast 15 times over, or if you want to listen to it one time, that's the only thing you take away from this. If you want to be an architect and progress yourself from just being beyond an IT director and engineer, Ask yourself, whatever new situation comes up, okay, am I focusing on one problem or am I seeing the big picture? Mm. Mm. Um, this is the first podcast where I've been taking notes. I'll be honest with you, man. <laughs>
Uh, I, I missed, that, and I need to go back because I missed something. What was the the D, the intermediate business acumen Gartner percentage again? Like what what was the yeah? What was that percentage? Like I need to know that number. One one hundred percent of IT roles are going to require an intermediate <laughs> level of proficiency in business acumen, and that's. Bill, that's not easy to do, man. We had a really great meeting with Cisco one time when they came into our office and he's like, how do we create more Bill Claimants? And this is not, please understand, not to you know, make my head <laughs> any bigger or froth up any collar. It's how do we create people who can take the language of business or vice versa, the language of technology and translate it, be able to explain why that green blinky thing is going to make the business $10 million and not just what it can do <laughs> you know, sort of in general. Uh, and, and that's the important part here. I, I think we as architects and, you know, millennials and, you know, Gen X or the, the new, the iGen, whatever you want to call it, the, the younger generation that's coming yeah. in after us. Um, the, the important part here is to be able to act as a mediator and a translator of technology. I mean, that's another thing that architects do. Um, and the best ones out there, the absolute best ones, and this is, this is not, you know, a knock on anybody out here, uh, are those that take the time to understand business as well as IT. And, and this was a personal journey that I went on understanding the environment. Phil, I got an MBA alongside a network engineering degree alongside another master's in information security. Um, and, and those business courses, Phil, were some of the hardest ones I've ever taken because they force you to think differently. They force you to think around the business, the user. How do people interact with technology and business and marketing? And that ultimately allows you to see things from a really different perspective. Uh, you know, maybe it requires you to take a class. Maybe it requires you to, uh, you know, take some kind of a certification course. But, you know, doing the status quo isn't going to make you any better. Obviously, you have to think a little bit differently. But again, having a strong business acumen, being able to explain complex IT topics to not just business people and executives, but to your users, create champions out of those guys. Um, that's going to make you successful and certainly a winner. Mm. Uh, I was actually thinking of this. I was daydreaming about this in the car on the way back from jujitsu this morning, which was uh, how do we, you know, like how, how would you hire like a really good like business consultant? And I was thinking, well, first of all, we've got to take them and we've got to throw them into a retail store and make them a store manager. And they've got to, you know, deal with all the crap of hiring people and people quitting on them and then they've got to manage this P&L and they've got to have a district manager over them you know mm -hmm. just harping on them on every little detail of the profit and loss statement and what gross margin is and what all these different things are and they need to get through that really in-depth confusion and thrown to the fire stage then mm -hmm. we'll take them and throw them into an entry-level sales job and make them go hit 55 doors a day and get rejected every day and then what we'll do is we'll take them in a helicopter and we'll drop them out of uh, the plane somewhere with a parachute into a country where they then have to get back to the United States with $500. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, and then they're going to have to get, go get their MBA, I guess. Um, which, you know, I'm going to skip ahead. We're going to get back to the silos thing because, sure, and, I, sure. and the only reason why I say that is because you, you have a lot of schooling behind you. You have a lot mm -hmm. of certs and certifications. I want to ask you, do certifications matter later on? Like, do certifications matter right now for you? Should they matter? Uh, okay. Uh, you're you're going to get two-pronged answer here. First of all, yes, they matter. Second of all, don't cheat to get them because 
people like me, other experts in the industry, they're going to find out quickly, uh, and it's going to be embarrassing. It, it really will. Um, so that means don't well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you a different way. Do yeah, yeah, renewing yeah. do renewing the certifications <laughs> matter always? So um, yes, I would definitely say yes. If you're in the engineering or architecture field, getting your certifications are, you know, around things like cloud visualization, security, whatever your field of expertise is, yeah, you got to keep those active and you got to keep them current. You know, if for anything, the classes allow you to understand what's changed, what's new. Um, l- listen, if if you don't keep up to date with that stuff. The, the little details, the minutiae of an architecture or technology are sometimes what's really important for an organization. Um, I'll give you a really simple, simple example. Uh, in a Citrix environment, you can do simple things like session pre-launch and session lingering. So if you're working with a, let's say, a healthcare organization that knows it's going to get a set of doctors that are going to come in at 8 o'clock in the morning, 500 of them, you can do something like pre-launching a set of 500 instances of an application so that when a doctor comes in, boom, it's available to them immediately. You don't have to wait for that stuff to provision. You wouldn't Mm. actually know that potentially if you didn't take the courses and if you didn't study the material. Maybe if you didn't take uh, take the exam or maybe you would know about it, but you wouldn't know how to deploy it. So your lack of further education or not getting that cert can actually not just negatively impact you, but negatively impact your customer because you're not leveraging the full power of the technology that you're, you know, you're working with. So I, I do definitely recommend that. Now, to that extent, when you start climbing the ranks, when you start becoming a director, a VP, you know, even the CTO role, I still have certs, and I still have certs that I'll renew. Uh, everything from Cisco to Citrix to Cisco Meraki, for example, I have active and valid certs and licenses that, um, you know, I absolutely still leverage, and I'll still go into the technical consoles. I'll still go to classrooms, and it's kind of weird because everyone announces themselves. You know, I'm, a, I'm an architect. I'm an engineer. I'm an architect. I'm an engineer. I'm a director. I'm a CTO, and they're like, "The, the hell are you doing here?" But it's you know, <laughs> it's a passion to stay geeky. You know, to a passion to um, you know continue to understand the intricate workings of technology. My personal advice, everybody, don't lose that. Don't lose that passion. Don't lose that drive. Uh, and certainly don't lose yourself in the world of business alone. I think technology has so much to offer just in general. Um, but just to come back to your original question, yes, I think getting certs and renewing them is important um, because, you know, at the very least, studying the course material is going to give you a chance to understand new releases, new updates. Um, and, and here's the thing. When you learn that stuff, you can call a customer back, get all jazzed up and excited um, and be like, hey, I just found out there's this amazing feature in the software platform. You already own it. All we need to do is come out and deploy. So not just that, you're not only creating value, you're also getting yourself services dollars. So uh, there's a lot of value above and beyond just getting a cert. I guess kind of where I was going with that is, obviously there's a lot of very talented people out there that mm-hmm. are going to say, I don't have the certifications, but I can't get hired, or I can't do this, but I've got, but I know how to do X, Y, Z. I guess that's kind of where I was going with that one. At the same time, would you really want to go to the doctor and have him do surgery on you and he hasn't done any form of continuing education for the last 20 years? Let me, let me, so I think, I think it's important to point something out. And in, in, uh, what you're talking about is experience, right? Somebody comes to me and says, I've got experience in doing this. I'm really freaking good at it. I don't have any certifications. Will you hire me? So I, I want to point this out to you. Uh, there's three elements in my mind at least, that I've seen impact how people get hired. And that's experience, attitude, and aptitude. In, I would say, legacy organizations that are bigger, maybe potentially a lot more rigid, set in their ways and managing people, um, 
again, you know who I'm talking about. Big company, many divisions. Sometimes it's a challenge to cater to individuals alone. Um, they don't care how old you are. They hire uh, and aim to get candidates, which can, quote, unquote, get the job done. In those cases, experience, that's your number one, right? Uh, your job is straightforward. Can your experience get the job done? It's as simple as that. They might not care if you have a certificate or not. They're going to hire you for your existing skill set. That's it. From there, your aptitude, um, you know, as far as, you know, how can you conform to the business or adjust? Great. You're a team player. You'll be there. And your attitude is actually the least important because just don't cause any trouble. You'll be all right as long as you're a team player and follow the rules. <laughs> Unseen change is, is actually something fairly drastic along, along the lines of many organizations. Again, maybe not some of those bigger rigid ones, but mid-market, large, certainly in the startup phase. Attitude, aptitude, then finally experience. So your attitude is actually one of the bigger things that are going to get you hired. Um, not just can you do this, but are you excited more than just making a dollar? Are you driven to succeed? Are you have, do you have a positive attitude? And then aptitude is really important because that is your capability to learn, your ability to cross train. Are you going to be able to take on more roles? Are you going to be able to have an aptitude towards learning that allows you to be moldable, uh, moldable excuse me, uh, and become an excited team member? And then finally, believe it or not, is experience. And it's still very important, but fluid organizations that are ready for today's digital economy they won't hire for experience alone. I need to make mm -hmm. that clear. They'll want a positive attitude. They'll want an aptitude and the capability to learn. And then the ability to evolve the experience is where it all happens. So again, old school uh, experience, aptitude, attitude. Some of the new things that I'm seeing, more on attitude, aptitude, and then experience. So just because you have all of these certifications, you know, doesn't mean you're going to get a job at, at a company that you really want. Um, my recommendation is to keep up to date, make sure you have an attitude that's, that's, you know, open and very positive, have a willingness to learn and evolve, and then your experience should be able to speak for itself. Awesome. Now, perfect segue to the silos. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cause you're going to come into yeah. a company. It could be, I, first of all, I'm a startup guy. I love growing markets. I love growing. I just love growing companies. That's just me. Um, the, the old massive bureaucracy. I just don't survive in the bureaucracy. It's probably why I'm mm -hmm. probably where I'm at right now. Um, but you come in, you talked a lot about not being a fan of silos is what I think you said. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, silos, and I guess silos versus strategy. I guess that would be IT strategy and where various different people, you can get stuck in a silo in one of those big companies and maybe you're, you're stuck in a silo and then all of a sudden they say, hey, the, the, the CEO's, he's gone, he's out. You're, you're, the, you're, the, um, or you're the CTO now, uh, go. And you've been stuck in a silo the whole time and you manage by silos. So please tell me about silos. Um. You know, uh, the, the challenge with silos, um, there's a lot of challenges with silos. I mean, if you manage silos properly, uh, you know, imagine like a perforated gate, right, where, you, where water is able to flow easily in and out instead of maybe like a, like a locking system uh, within a, like a canal or a channel or something that, that you know, has to open up completely. Um, so there's some barrier, but your organizational structure and people are still able to flow easily throughout the company. I, I really think that's the ultimate goal that, that you'd want to get to if you have to compartmentalize some of your business. Um, so I'm just going to give you a perspective. Uh, next week, I'm one of the keynote speakers 
uh, at Atcom's data center world in, in San Antonio. One of the things I'm going to talk about is actually silos between IT facilities teams and business teams. Uh, and where old school mentality was go, go to your room, go to your job, go plug in the networking cable and we'll be all set is absolutely not how we can be thinking about IT business and people in general today. Um, because what happens in those situations is uh, oftentimes miscommunication, misalignment, and beyond anything else, a misunderstanding around what we're trying to do within the company. So, uh, for example, you know, an IT person might try and deploy something, a piece of technology, without really understanding what it's going to do to the user or the business. Um, the removal of silos allows uh, members of an organization to really flow a lot more easily throughout the company, interact with users, business segments, for example, you know, do a day in the life of, a, of an administrator or a doctor or a nurse, for example, to see how they interact with things. Um, I, I, listen, you, you, obviously you can't, you know, have a functioning business without some element of, uh, of I don't want to say rigidity, but a structure, let's call it structure. Um, and, but I wouldn't call structure the same thing as a, as a silo. Um, the danger with silos is that we get those blinders put on us, right? We focus only what we do in our own little world and oftentimes forget what other people do in our business, the importance of their role. And oftentimes we find ourselves to be quote unquote so busy that we think that other people in the company aren't busy because they're not within my silo, right? And there's, there's a whole bunch of complexities that can revolve around that. Um, my biggest uh, uh, recommendation in working with that is either, you know, be the actor of change and be the one that can see into multiple business units. I mean, that's something that I do within my role uh, pretty much every single day. Um, but the most important thing is that, you know, you don't lose focus of what is happening within your organization. And this could be between executives, business leaders, IT professionals, um, take the time to go talk to your users, your business people, uh, because, you know, oftentimes architects, engineers, IT managers are focusing just on their IT environment. And guess what? Still, you don't actually walk over the, uh, the manager's desk or, you know, the business leader and say, hey, what problems have you had the last week? Or, you know, what issues are you working through that you just sort of ignore, you hit next, um, and you just only tell us about it? Because what happens is that, Unless it's a major, major issue, a lot of users don't tell you about it. And that is a loss of productivity and a disenfranchising from the IT environment. Remember what I said earlier, create champions because those people will fight for you and those people will become your, you know, your secondary IT folks that are going to gonna help, help you uh, position new technologies and new solutions. So when you break that barrier and work with users, you absolutely help remove those silos uh, or certainly, certainly take it, make them a lot more malleable, a lot more, uh, you know, easily to manage. Give me, um, so this is kind of like the hospital where the doctors, the doctors don't talk to the nurses and the nurses don't talk to whatever, and they don't talk to the IT guy. And I have seen this in a very large hospital network where they rolled out an mm -hmm. entire brand new EMR system. And with the EMR system came all kinds of new like wireless wheel around carts and, and all kinds mm -hmm. of stuff. And I, I, just so you know, I come from a family of all doctors, right? Like everyone in my family, <laughs> like for, forever has been a doctor. I think my brother and I are the only ones that went into business, right? Even my sister's married to an anesthesiologist and she's an RN <laughs> and it goes on and on and on. So, and then my dad just had a second hip replacement. He's 82. Long story short, I'm in the hospital. I'm watching this right in front of my eyes roll out. And I'm watching all this brand new equipment just sitting in the corner. 
Yep. And I start talking with the nurse, like, you know, like, hey, like, you know, what's going on? Like, why can't you just, you know, put my dad's patient information in here? They're like, oh, they rolled out this new thing. And it's just not working out. No one understands it, blah, blah, blah. Whatever it was, it was clearly a communication and a ease of management type of use. It wasn't even, tra- it wasn't even a training on how to use computers because I would say that, you know, you know, most people know how to do that general stuff nowadays, but I could see it unfolding right in front of my eyes. So there's really no point to that other than, a, you know, a failure aspect, right? That was like, you know, a silo failure, I guess. Um, give us some tips and some tricks. And I ask that because I know um, where, I, where I've done a large hosted VoIP rollout and it went great. And then mm-hmm. we, we married you know, video conferencing and screen share collaboration to the VoIP. And then we were you know, tying in various different APIs. And then what I noticed was is that particular CTO did a lot of survey monkeys. He would constantly send out mm-hmm. survey monkeys and get, you know, and get like, you know, at first it was, we love VoIP. And then it was, we don't like it. And it was like, well, what happened? And what happened was, is when we decided to marry the, you know, the, the old video conferencing platform and combine it. And now you had this kind of weird myriad, like middle party app that people just hated. But the point was mm-hmm. you use survey monkey. Do you have any other great tips or tricks for people kind of collaboration or any ideas? Like, what do you do? Or like, what can we tell people to do to help, you know, give them some just brainless, like, Hey, just do this. This is simpler. And this will help you start to get the idea of, you know, breaking the silo. So uh, first of all, uh, I, I uh, applaud the SurveyMonkey idea. Uh, and second of all, we do it in MTM Technologies. We recently released a uh, a new uh, you know, workspace as a service. I, it, it, if we're going to define it, that, that's fine. It's called Anywhere App. You can go to anywhereapp.com and check it out. But first of all, we did a SurveyMonkey of our internal people, our architects, our, our salespeople. Uh, an anonymous survey monkey, nonetheless, and we asked them, what do you think about this? What are some of the challenges? What can we make better? What's the selling cycle look like? Is it a push or a pull? Um, and, and listen, people responded. We got really, really good data and amazing feedback. Uh, okay, clearly they're getting the message, or here we need to make some improvements. So getting a chance to poll and query your audience, your salespeople, your engineers, all for it. That is it's a brilliant way to get insight into what's actually happening within your environment or within a solution or a practice. Um, now, going back to your original uh, point in question as far as, uh, you know, working with technology and making sure there's a good use case, let's, let's look at it from a really cool perspective. Analog and digital. In the analog days, Phil, I would go to you as your IT manager, I would say, Phil, Here's your laptop. It weighs eight pounds. It's got a SCSI port in there, a floppy drive. This is your piece of technology. You don't have a choice. All the apps that are installed in there are your apps. You're going to have to work with this. That's it. You've never touched this before. You don't even know what the hell this is. You're like, all right, great. This is, this is what I'm going to show. This brick is going to be my, my new device. In today's world, in, in, the, in the digital world, that's much different. So I'm laughing like, because that's still, I'm laughing because that still happens. <laughs> Yeah, it does. It really does. And we're trying to break that paradigm. So to that point, um, today, what we do at MTM, and certainly what I'm hoping to see other people do as well, is that we'll go to Phil and we'll sit down with him. And this would be something an architect would do, by the way. And they say, hey, Phil, just show me what you do every day. Tell me how you show me how you log in. And you'll say, maybe, well, I don't have a, I don't have a corporate PC. And a good architect and IT guy will say, 
you don't you don't need one. Just just show me. Do you open up Chrome when you start your day? Do you go to like you know? Is it easy to pull up a portal? And in the digital framework, we design solutions and access methodologies around the user's most comfortable way of computing. So whether you know, maybe they have an iPad, maybe they have a, a Surface Book, maybe they have uh, an Android device. The point is we've come so far in technology with things like VMware and Citrix and cloud SaaS applications that we can deliver contextually pretty much anything to anywhere. Who are you? Where are you coming in from? What data are you accessing? Do you have authority to, to access this data? Uh, has your device been registered with the company? Do we need to segment or geofence this data if you're outside of a building or a state or a county? There are so many contextual access and delivery points today that it is fundamentally different than just giving somebody a laptop. Because today, a successful IT person, an architect, can design an environment around the user's tools, how they access technology, and uh -huh. allow them to leverage these kinds of things to be as, as, as fundamentally productive as possible. I want to go back to your original story, Phil, because I thought it was amazing. Um, we, we did this project with a healthcare company out east and they came to us and they said, MTM, we, we have a problem, right? We have these workstations on wheels, just like what you described, and we don't think the doctors are using them. In fact, we're not really sure where they all are. So we put these Bluetooth beacons on them uh, and a whole bunch of them. We found all of them, put pretty much all of them. Um, and we put up like a tracking algorithm. But we were actually able to map out the entire hospital um, environment, right, to see the rooms, the architecture, all of that. And after a few months of working and collecting data, do you know what we found? We found like, like six of them sitting in an abandoned bathroom. We found like a whole bunch of them on one floor. We found that like two floors didn't even have any of them. Um, oh, and it, unbelievable. Like, we found like two of them that had to still be logged in from, you know, previous doctor's information. We're like, why didn't this even log out? So we gave them so much data. And again, the problem was because they deployed technology, uh, you know, without really understanding the user. So what happens now in that same example, what we would do is we would go to the doctor, the nurse, the practitioner, whoever, and say, show me what you do. How, tell me how you log into your, do you like to swipe the card? Do you want maybe like a biometric reader? Uh, you know, how quickly do you want to start to interact with the patient? Um, you know, do we need to pre-launch applications for you? Are there, is there like one or two that you will always, always have open when you walk into a room because we can do that now. Um, in that sense, we always start with the business, the user, how they interact with technology, and, and so we build around it. Th that's what we do. And that's the fundamental paradigm shift and difference. And what I want everyone to take away from this is that before you position a server or a piece of storage or a converged infrastructure or a VoIP system, find out how they do business, find out what their most natural way of doing business is, and that means like how they compute, access the internet, whatever the case might be, and then do your best, do your very best to build around that architecture to never deprecate performance or user access, but to always accelerate the business. Well, again, it's gonna bring me to another point. I'm putting together a mm -hmm. specific think tank for stuff like this. There's mm -hmm. no, there is no harm in asking for help either right because you know even even like VoIP for example like not everyone has might not have the experience that you have right they, not everyone might have the experience in every single layer of technology it might be a three-man department running 500 users I mean I see it every day I see mm -hmm. two guys 
in charge of five, 600 users for, you know, and that's not, that's not easy. So they can't do all of it. There's no problem with, I mean, obviously that, that's what I do, right? I go in and I do a needs assessment and I ask all those questions like, how, how do the sales guys work? Where do these people work? Where do they work? Um, it's amazing. Eventually, you know, that, that Bluetooth model is awesome. Eventually people are going to be wearing iPhone watches as well. I mean, I know that's already happening in healthcare. They're already tracking people. They're already tracking, you know, heart rate monitor there, or it's in a, it might be a, um, uh, like an elder care facility and we're putting a, an iPhone watch on someone. So we know that they wandered down the hall at two o'clock in the morning or that their heart rate went up or whatever it is. Um, but even just the general business sense, Phil Howard, it's two o'clock in the afternoon. You'd need to take a nap right now for 35 minutes and then you need to wake up and drink a cup of coffee and then go back to work. Um, this is the difference. I, I think this is, again, one of the greatest things about our country and how we do business as well is and what's going to change in the future and getting away from that industrial model of doing business. It's just uh, it's a great conversation that I could really go off on a lot of tan a lot of tangents there. I want to ask you one more thing. Sure. What you have to, it has to be one thing. Okay. It can't be it's one thing. I want you to give one piece of advice to anyone out there that may be in a growth position. They may be new to an IT director role. They may have just been promoted to their first kind of C level executive um, leadership role in IT or technology. What's your one piece of advice? Always think outside the box. <laughs> you know what? Let me let me let me change that. Always see the big picture, which sort of is a, is, a, is a deviation of what I said originally. Always always work to see the big picture. That's going to prove useful in in so many different areas of life because it'll always allow you to become a firefighter. It'll always allow you to sort of pause a crazy situation. I mean, if you got kids, obviously. You can understand, or if it's even an emergency situation, uh, you know, I spent, uh, I spent eight and a half years of my life when I was younger as a lifeguard responding to some pretty crazy things that happen at a, at a, at a big suburban pool here in Chicago. But oh, if, you, if you just pause and not react instinctively to, uh, you know, an immediate situation, but like understand and assess the situation, I guess that's, that's a good way of putting it. Um, it'll, it'll go a long way. So in your jobs, in your roles, as you try and grow, work with different businesses, uh, always try and see the big picture. So if someone asks you or you're in a business meeting and say, you know, uh, my, my server is, is behaving poorly. Don't just ask if you have enough RAM or what kind of CPU do you have. You know, maybe ask, well, how are users accessing it? What are users doing today? Maybe you'll find out that most of them are trying to access uh, a legacy infrastructure from new kinds of applications where now you're not just solving a slow server problem. Now you're solving a business situation where even if you fix that, well, how do you know if you fix the, how the users are accessing the environment, right? Did you actually take a look at the rest of the architecture? So as you're developing your IT role, whatever the situation might be, whether it's an issue with an employee or a customer or a business problem, pause, you know, sit back in your chair, drink your coffee or tea or whatever, and just, just, just work to see the big picture. Try and abstract mm. it, and you will, you will find yourself doing this in life, whether you're again with, with family or kids or in emergency situations, because it'll help you calm down. It'll help mm. you respond more effectively, uh, and really will help you uh, impact more people. I mean, that's that's the biggest piece of advice I can honestly give anybody um, is to take those blinders off it and pause and try and see the big picture. Mm. Think like an architect. Respond versus react, man. 
I've given right. plenty of plenty of early morning sales speeches about 10 years ago on responding versus reacting, taking the emotion mm-hmm. out of it, the numbers into it. Um, yep. I want to ask you back for part two. And the reason why I want to ask you back for a second podcast is because we have not gotten to the second half of my questions. And that is <laughs> how, and this is a long one, right? And this is how, after you've done and gathered all of this information, how do you sell the rest of the staff on it? I think it's fairly self-evident because I think after you've done all this, they're going to see your value, but you do need to present after that. And that's where Mm -hmm. all of your past business management um, and presentation skills. And I noticed that you have a bullet point called the psychology of the buyer. There is going to come a point you need to present to the board. You need to present to the business how all of this fits into the big picture and that's what I want to talk about on a second podcast, if you'll do it. Yeah, no, so I'll tell you what. I'll give you a little, little tiny preview of what we could potentially talk about. So imagine a giant organization, manufacturing, big, big, big company, global, one of our customers, um, and made effectively a decision to move away from Microsoft and go to Google. We're talking like Google Apps, Chromebooks, for example. Uh, and we're, we're talking about a shift away from traditional office products, Windows applications, Windows yep. uh, uh, operating systems, for example, to give all of these users, like manufacturing, sales, a Chromebook. Well, even, let me ask you a question. Even Microsoft yeah, yeah. Word and Office, and you're going to go to actual Google Docs? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So you want, a, you want a story for, for part two? That's going to be the nexus of what we talk about. How to convince a global fortune-sized organization to move away from a technology they've been using for a long time, Microsoft, to Google. And here's the thing. We did it successfully. Uh, you know, there was certainly bumps in the road. We had uh-huh. to convince not just executive people, but pretty much across the entire board. But I'll, I'll, I'll shut up there because I want to I save the, the media parts for uh, the second part wow. of our conversation. So going Google and how to convince a fortune-sized organization on how to do it. Mm-hmm. There you go. Wow. Yeah. I, I'm already thinking about it because, uh, cause I use Google for everything, mm-hmm. but I pay for, I pay for Microsoft office because I'm not messing around with Google sheets, but, uh, <laughs> but, but every now and then I have to, Hey man, it, it's been a great conversation. Very eye opening. I think, uh, I mean, people are crazy if they don't, if they don't listen to this, people are going to love this. Um, really thank you so much and look forward to having you again in the future. It was my pleasure. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm sure you can uh, find both Phil and I on the wonderful area or arena of social networking. So find us, connect, be social. Yes, and just that is a good point. If people did want to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Bill Clayman. Uh, it's pretty, pretty, pretty straightforward on there. This is going to sound awful, but you're more than welcome. Just Google my name. Uh, you'll see a whole slew of articles and white papers and uh, places where I'm going to be presenting. Maybe I'll be in your corner of the world. Uh, and then obviously, if you find me on um, on uh, Twitter, my handle is quad stack. So like a quad bike and then stack. So quad stack. Uh, and then if you if you remember, you can ask the story of where that name came about. It's actually kind of funny. Uh, it has actually something to do with uh, my immigrating here from uh, uh, Ukraine. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that in the next podcast. So again, find me on social media, LinkedIn. Uh, I, I do have my own Facebook news site if you like, but again, LinkedIn and Twitter are the best places to get a hold of me. Bill Clayman, thanks, man. You're the man. Take care. Pleasure. Thanks, Phil.